Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. Thank you, Father, because as a house, we receive this word of prophecy. We receive it into our hearts, full of gratitude and, and thanksgiving. For in Jesus' precious name, we have received. Can we celebrate Jesus once again this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Have your seat in God's presence. Welcome your neighbor to your right and to your left into the presence of God. Welcome them to church. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Give a good compliment and a sincere one. All right. <laughs> amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. I didn't come in my suits today. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. No word of God comes out without vital energy. If the energy is not having impact on your experience, it is a fault of how you have received it, not a fault of how it has come forth. Praise God. The Bible says, such is the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It does not return void. It carries enough power to change your situation, your life, your experience, your history, your forever, your destiny. That word. All right. So it's important that we get the right posture, the right attitude in the presence of God when it's time to receive God's word, you pay attention because God's word is life. The Bible says the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickens. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Lord looked at the valley of the dry bones and he asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gave a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> and he said, Lord, now you sabi, I don't know. I don't know. You are the one that knows. And then the Lord said, you speak these words to these bones. How can dry bones scattered abroad in a valley come together, sinew to sinew, cell to cell, tendon to tendon, ligament to ligament, socket to socket? Every single thing came and they became a mighty army just because Ezekiel spoke the word, the living word. Nothing is beyond the restoration of the word. Nothing. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what is happening in your life. It may look like dry bones that have been dead for such a long time. God's word has the capacity to literally raise them back to life. Hallelujah. God's word is so powerful. It's so powerful. And so whenever God's word is coming forth, you have that posture, that reverence, that honor, that awe in your heart to receive the token of the word that will be coming forth from the throne of grace. Father, we thank you. Amen and amen. So I believe last week we started this contemplations around um, the next thought that the Lord would have us focus on in this series, the goodie bag series. But now we begin to talk about three ships that must sail in your life. And we talked about relationships, leadership, and stewardship. Because the next set of teachings will center around these thoughts. These thoughts. Because I realized that a lot of believers only are armed with spiritual understanding. They've not been armed with spiritual application of that understanding so they have spiritual truths in their mind they understand faith grace love they understand these things they understand the meaning of the outer court the inner court the holy of holies they understand the sense in the temple they understand how to you they, they understand those deep things but no one can understand it by watching them no one can see the effect in their realities in their lives they can't apply the word in their daily lives 
because they've not been taught how to apply spiritual truth. And until it's taught and effectively applied, people around you cannot see your good works. People around you cannot experience the Father by observing you. They cannot be drawn to your God and hold the skirt of your garment to say, lead us to your mountain, lead us to your God. We want to serve your kind of God. There is something we have observed within your realities that is compelling us to ask you relevant questions. How are you doing what you're doing? So we have Christians who are just powerful inherently, but not effective in their realities. They're not effective in their workplaces. They're not effective in their families. They're not effective. They run from emergency to emergencies. There is nothing glorious about their lives and that's the whole essence of goodie bags to help you take full advantage of all that the lord has blessed you with in christ all that the lord has blessed you with in christ and so if you notice the first set of series or the first set of teachings we had in the first batch what we were doing was you know iterating and emphasizing some of those very spiritual you know realities the cross the holy ghost the things that we have in christ these are the things we need to focus on but right now, the Lord is asking us to pay attention to the conversion. How do we convert? How do we convert these things that are esoteric and vague right there in the realm of the spirit? How do I make known to my boss the manifold wisdom of God that is resident in me? How do I make known to my community, to my, uh, to my society, to my people, to the people that are around me? How do they know and lay hold and say, this one is God? How will they see it? The conversion. And we don't understand this very practical side of things. We would always be having expectations of God that he has already blessed us with how to go about them. But because we don't know how, we don't know how to get into the city. We keep blaming God for not showing up for us. Like I said last week, many times our prayers reveal our ignorance. We pray for vertical invasions where God is demanding horizontal transmissions. He's blessed you with spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He's asking you to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light but we keep saying God shine on me no he's shone on you in Christ you reveal that dimension of light amen so this is a demand sincerely you need to begin to put some demand on yourself what is my effect in this house what is my effect in this place what's my effect in this society what's my effect in my community what effects was it Dr. Miles that said if your absence was not felt that means your presence was not required we, if, we, if, we, if you leave a place, we didn't feel your absence. That means when you were there, we didn't need your presence. Do you understand that? So there is no effectiveness, what I see. There's no effectiveness. People are not taught how to be effective. They're only taught on how powerful they are. But there's nobody following up as to how effective the power that they have is having in their realities, in their experiences. No one is teaching them. If you go read up how... USA was built, the men who built America, you realize that all of them had spiritual capital to convert. They converted it to economic, you know, development and advancement of their nation. There was, there was an effect of that spirituality. There was an effect. It wasn't just a spirituality that is up there in the skies that you talk about only in the context of the church that nobody can lay hold on, that even Pharaoh can recognize. Nothing that Pharaoh can recognize. Pharaoh is dead in trespasses and sins, but when he sees God, he notices it. He, he can observe that this is God. So when we don't have such dimensions that people will look at our lives and the effects that we are producing and, and give a reference to a God that he does not even have, there, there is something that is not right in our theology or at least in our application of our theology. Praise God. And so that's the whole essence of this teaching series. That the communication of our faith, that the sharing of our faith will become effectual, will become effective and powerful. By the acknowledging of every good thing that is in us, 
in Christ Jesus. Those things that are in us in Christ Jesus are not going to just be put there by Christ. No, they are already there. But the activation is by acknowledgement. Amen. So, one of the leaders was going through his notes over the course of the week. And then he shared some really powerful stuff with me. He just sent me a verse of scripture that I think it's a good place to start this morning. Amen. Because it's always good to keep talking the word. Amen. Remember how the Lord told them in, you know, in the Old Testament how that their lives should be the word of God. Their lives. So he says when you wake up, it should be the first thing you see. On your door lintel, it should be the thing there. On your window, should, when you are going to the farm, you should, you should be talking the word. Literally inundate yourself with the word. That's how you ought to receive the word. You don't just receive it on Sunday, get excited, keep thinking about it, look for avenues to apply it. That's how the word becomes established in your heart. When you're not just looking to grow in knowledge, you are looking to grow in application. You're not just supposed to be ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. And that is what the Bible says, it is by the accurate knowledge of the things that are inside you in Christ Jesus. Because the proof of accurate knowledge is application. If you don't apply it, it means you never really understood it. You really didn't know it. You really didn't have a sense of what you carried. Amen. And so, you know, during the course of the week, he just sent me that scripture and I was like, wow, this is powerful. And that's something that we should consider this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Bible says from verse 19, he says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I may gain the more. You see that? So in verse 20, the Bible says, that and unto the Jews I became as a Jew, mm. that I may gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I may gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law as without the law, be not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I may gain them that are without the law, to the weak I became as weak, that I may gain the weak, I made myself all things to all men. Why? That I might by all means, all means, save some. And this I do for what sake? The gospel's sake. That I might be a partaker therefore or thereof with you. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth with the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we an incorruptible crown. That means discipline is an indispensable factor to becoming effective in the things of the kingdom. He says they are temperate in all things. They are disciplined. They buffet their bodies. He says, therefore I run, not as an uncertain man. So fight I, not as one that beats the air, making strides that have no effect. I'm making effects. Are you hearing what Paul is saying here? Every punch hits target. I'm not just, you know, exercising the futility. I'm not just fighting in the dark. I'm not winking in the dark. Every single step I take, there is an effect to the kingdom of God. God is ripping something for every single action of mine. See how powerful he, he, he thought about this. He says, but I keep my body under and I bring it on to subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So you see what Paul is saying here that he became everything to all men. He became compatible to the formats that they were willing to receive so that he would enter into the system, infiltrate them. The challenge is that we don't look like the people we are trying to convert. We don't look like them. We look like gun-carrying people that are coming to terrorize them. So from afar, they target us and they evict us. We don't look like them. We don't feel like them. We don't understand their context. And you tell me that you are sent to them? That's not wise. 
because the strategy God gave Paul was that infiltrate, get into their system first. If a Jew is a Jew, if you're coming as a Gentile, he's not going to listen to you. You become a Jew for his sake so you can get him saved in the first place. Amen. So, you need to understand that your inability to morph and be adaptable and flexible for the use of God is a reflection of your deficiency of understanding about your identity and your mission. So when you see people who do not, who have a very restrictive application to their formats, <laughs> their Apple can only receive from Apple devices. They, they can't use any other one. Their, their church people can only work with church people. They can't, they can't work with any other person. They can't call them in Hollywood and they will bring value to the table. They, they, can't, they can't be applied in contexts that are different from the ones that they are familiar with. And so, there is a limitation to the scope of their reach. There is already a cap to their expressions. Because they are not willing to become adaptable. So, Paul said, I can become anything you need me to be. In Athens, I'm a philosopher. <laughs> I need to speak in a language that you can understand. So that by any means, you can get saved. So, if you really understand your identity and your mission, you understand that culture, nonetheless, the gospel must be preached. However, people need to be spoken to so that they can get the word. You can morph. You can become it. To the weak, it became as weak. To the Gentiles, it became a Gentile. To the Greek and the scientists of his day, he had to go and read books. He had to understand how they thought. And then look for a way to fix Jesus somewhere in between. So that, by all means, he could gain some. But we see, folks, only Jews. I deal with only Jews. That was the inflexibility of Peter. Only Jews. And there was a limit, a cap to his reach. I can only work with only church people. I only talk to church people, my friends. All the Church people, everything. Church people. You are using the equipment the church has served you with on the church. It doesn't work like that. There is a field of souls. Use that equipment on that field. Amen. And so there are three transdisciplinary skill set that you need to have in order to find relevance in any sphere, any chosen field where you perhaps are sent to by God to convert souls to him. Just a quick recap. What were the things we said were the strategies that we use in getting this soul saved? Number one, infiltration. Infiltration is a gradual unnoticed. Right? I like that. <laughs> Your robots will say, Do you understand? The guy didn't observe, but I was already entering. The way dough works, right? The way dough, I think that's dough, that right, that makes the bread rise. Yeast, rather, thank you. So you, you put the yeast in the bread. The bread is not noticing that anything is happening. But before you know it, the thing is swelling. The effect of the yeast, so subtle, but powerful. And then the next thing is what? Proliferation. You keep replicating yourself, mentorship, you expand, you dominate, you multiply until you are able to topple the powers that be in that system and then convert the hearts of the people there. Amen. Hallelujah. And so three transdisciplinary skill sets that you need to have that the church needs to begin to teach. Because too many times you find people who are so powerful and mighty in scripture but they don't understand beyond <laughs> the baptism of John. So the application is limited to an era that is already extinct. Do you understand that? 
they don't know beyond the baptism of John, but they are mighty in scripture. But the application is limited. They can't speak in some gatherings. But they are mighty in scripture. But they are limited. You see that? So the church needs to begin to teach these transdisciplinary skills. Number one, managing relationships. There is no way you go in the world that you will not be demanded to have that set of skills. Managing relationships. Number two, leading visions. And number three, stewarding resources. Managing relationships. Leading visions. And then stewarding resources. Which is relationship, leadership, and, manage, and stewardship, right? And everything Jesus speaks about in the parables have to do with these things. Managing relationships. Leading visions. Stewarding resources. So a believer who doesn't know how to do these things will be limited in his expression in the marketplace, in the secular world. You'll be limited. The top guys in any organization are not people who are the most technically gifted. They are those who have reasoned and understood these three things. They know how to manage relationships, they know how to lead visions that they don't understand. But they know how to lead visions. And they know how to steward, I mean, steward resources. If you can do any of these three things, you can go to head a tech company that you never read about. You can be the head of that tech company. You can lead a nation without reading political science if you understand these transdisciplinary skills. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> Praise God. So how, how does God expect us to begin to engage these laws and these principles and this skill set so that we can be more useful so that we can be more compatible with any OS that we find ourselves you know around if you get on a plane with a, a, a an atheist how do you engage him how do you engage him say John 3 16 God so loved the world God loves you and he begins to ask you some questions that you yourself you are almost being converted to becoming an atheist because you don't have answers to those things you've not researched you've not asked questions you don't know how to engage an atheist you don't understand apologetics and things like that. Of course, you cannot know everything. But can you grow your capacity to have a wider reach? So whenever, if you notice, whenever Paul was speaking to a people, he will look at the scene. Hi. He will look at the atmosphere. What do these people need to know about me that will make them accept me a little better? If he needs to speak in a Hebrew language, he will speak it. If he needs to speak as a Greek, he will. If he needs to begin to throw out some legal terminology so that some, some really high-sounding lawyers around there will pay attention, he will do all those things just so that they can pay attention and they can infiltrate. Praise God. Alright. So we ought not to just be card-carrying Christians, but proof-producing, evidence-showing Christians. Our strategy is clear, infiltration, proliferation, and domination until we convert preach the gospel of the kingdom to every creature enter into systems fully equipped to operate within the system at the highest possible level and be charged with the mandate to plunder hell of its souls god has no use for lazy believers no use they become liabilities to his kingdom no use because they cannot be effective they would they will catch and hunt, but they can't, they can't process it to become usable until the thing rottens. Oh dear. God has no use for lazy believers. So one of the things you need to evict out of your life is laziness. 
you can't be lazy and be a disciple. You can't be lazy and be trained. So there's some key things. So I'm, I'm trying to give you the spiritual foundation for the things we're going to be learning because you would almost think you are in a seminar learning some of these things. But it's important that you understand that it's so spiritual. It's so spiritual. <laughs> so let's go to Matthew chapter 1. <laughs> the strategy is so spiritual. Oh dear. Was it Apostle Selman that made clear that illustration how that a terrorist is already indoctrinated before he goes to school? So when he's in medical class, you think he's just a co-medical student. No, sir. He's a terrorist learning medicine. <laughs> he will use that knowledge to invade a territory. He will look for how to create a, 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 a what do you call this stuff that, you know, bio, whatever it is, to, you know, whatever it is now that the terrorists are using in terms of nuclear bombs. The bio version is worse because that one can kill much more at a faster rate. And then he learns because he understands the magnitude of effect that kind of deployment, terrorist attack can do. He goes to learn what gives him the capacity to be able to create such a thing. Such strategic thinking. And so you think he's just a co-medical guy. He's not. He's a terrorist. So at the core of Paul was a gospel preacher. But whatever he needs to become for you, he will become it. But at the core of him is, see, by all means, guys get saved. People get saved. Save souls. So Matthew 1.17. Matthew 1.17. This is one of PD's favorite scriptures. Hey Amen. He can teach this for two years. <laughs> Praise God. Matthew 1.17. Bible says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. See how Matthew summarizes the entire scripture and the entire historical genealogy of those that led up unto Christ in three characters and one place. Three characters, one place. First man is Abraham. Second man is David. The third man is Christ. In between somewhere there is Babylon. Everything that happened in scripture, Matthew summarizes them into those three characters and one place. Three powerful leaders. Leaders. People who understood leadership at the highest level. That is why God chose them, sir. As a matter of fact, Abraham was a response to Nimrod. Nimrod in Genesis 11 wanted to build a civilization that would reach into the heavens. To threaten the person and the throne of God. And then God saw it as a threat and he came down and he scattered their language. God looked at him and said, if we don't do something strategic about these guys, they will come again, they will gather again. Another civilization will gather again because you see, that tower of Babylon is actually Babylon. And it's founded somewhere around the land of Shinar. S-H-I-N-A-R. So that's the place where Babel, which is Babylon, and that was eventually the civilization that Babylon grew out of. So Nimrod was the guy that said, we don't need God. We want to build a civilization that is centered around man. And they want to threaten the very existence and the rulership and the leadership of God. We want to build a civilization into the heavens. Genesis 11, then God scattered their language. And by Genesis 12, God began to look for somebody. So Abraham was a strategy to ensure that Nimrod is kept at bay. That the system of this world will not again gather and be so powerful to threaten the kingdom of God. 
So the faith message is really not a message that is designed to grant to your own personal needs and just make you comfortable in your small myopic ideology and, and, and realities. It's a system of restraints on the kingdom of darkness. It's supposed to restrain the power of darkness and its ability to galvanize resources to threaten the kingdom of God. And what was it that Abraham had? What was it that God saw in Abraham? What was it? He was a leader. Abraham could galvanize resources and ensure that five people, five kings coming together were lesser in capacity than this guy in his household. This guy was so effective. He was so effective. In fact, by Genesis, was it 13 or 14, when five kings gathered together, the Bible talks about how that the king of China, the king of Babylon, Babel, was also one of those five kings. Five kings that had power, that had might, that had horses, that had chariots, that had armies. They gathered against one man and his household. Why didn't Abraham pray that God should scatter them and God should destroy them? Why did God depend on his strategic insight? Why did God depend on his leadership? Why did God depend on his training? Why did God depend on Abraham's capacity as a human being, as a leader? Why was he training men to fight when there was not yet one war in the land? Why? What kind of a man is Abraham? So when we think of Abraham, we only think of Abraham, Isaac, and... No, this guy was a leader. God knew that whatever I start with Abraham, it will get to the ends of the earth. Your blessing that is resident on you will affect all the families of the earth. He was that scalable. Abraham was that scalable. God knew that my relationship with this guy is equivalent to my relationship with the entire world. God looked at us and he said, if you want to learn about faith, look unto Abraham, your father. What do we see in that guy? What do we see that inspires us? Apart from Abraham's blessings and mine. What do we see in him? He was a leader, guys. How do you train 318 soldiers who are willing to die for you? Do you know how people treat their servants these days? He must have treated them like human beings that were worthy of dignity. He must have trained them in value systems that was powerful enough to take over territories. He must have. The Bible says he will command his household after him. He had influence. That was the guy Abraham was. That's the man of faith that we all admire today. He was the response to, to Nimrod. He kept Babylon at bay. Every single time there is an omission of leadership, there is a, a, a loss of leadership. What happens is that Babylon begins to creep in. Babylon means confusion. So any civilization, any society, any space where you find no strong leadership, what you begin to see there is Babylon confusion. And once there is confusion, chaos and violence will invade that space. I tell you the truth. Have you noticed that wherever there's confusion, people take advantage of the confusion to loot? Because in a confused state, nothing is accounted for. You can't account for the people, you can't account for the property, you can't, you can't account for anything. There is confusion everywhere. The Bible says when there was no king in the land of Israel, men did anything they wanted to do because there was an absence of leadership. Proverbs 29, 18, Bible says where there is no vision, where there is no leader, charting a course for a people, the people will perish. Their perishing is not their fault. It's the absence of a leader that caused it. A leader refused to show up. There was no Abraham. There was no David. So Babylon crept in. There was no Abraham. 14 generations later, we saw David. 14 generations later, we didn't see anything. So Babylon became the force. 
then 14 generations later we see Christ can you be the one in that system holding back the hands of darkness that was what Abraham represented they wanted to say this is not bribe you have already fought the battle oh dear you have fought the we are not bribing you to fight with us you have fought the battle you have won on our behalf now we just want to give you a little something to say thank you no I don't receive thank yous from mortal men he told them, God forbid you get to a point in your life and you begin to say you made Abraham rich. Such a man. Nations could not compensate him. He was bigger than nations. Only him could really father nations. You'll be a father of many nations. You think it's beans. Sleeping on your bed, waking up. <sighs> father of many nations. People will look at you and say, you are our father, sir our father because your capacity is so strong 318 soldiers became a mighty army in your custody how did you do it in your custody such a man so what what were those practical things because if all we do is observe his faith on Mount Moriah and we don't observe his discipline before Moriah showed up you don't understand what led him to even become the man of faith that we all know him to be there was something about him. He, he, was, he was diligent. He was hardworking. He was strategic. He had a foresight that was unparalleled amongst all his contemporaries. He saw things that nobody could see. They would travel heights and distances. They won't see what he would see on his seat. He had such strategic insight into the future. He was a leader. He was a leader. He understood these things. So we see Abraham. We see David. We see Christ see David we see Christ and, and, and I see some parallels amongst these men and why God chose them there were several men why didn't God say between okay why didn't he just he mention all their names just to respect them the Abraham David and Christ were levels levels above others and he had to give honor to him it was due and we need to become such men we need to become such men. We have all it takes to become such men. We do actually. We have all it takes. We just need to get out of our comfort zone and stop giving excuses. Lame. I like that word. Lame excuses. Excuses that don't work. Excuses that don't move. Excuses that don't make any effect. Excuses that are just lame. And you build your house of failure with those lame excuses. Enough of excuses. Tell your neighbor enough of excuses enough of excuses so the first thing I see that is parallel amongst all these fathers of faith who communicated their faith to such a degree that their world felt their effects because their fathers of faith the communication of their faith was so effective it was so effective it was so effective everybody around them knew that there was something about these guys so powerful so the first thing I saw was that they led their lives so you lead your life Write your name down. Habib. You lead your life. You lead your life. That's the first thing you need to lead. <laughs> so when we say life, <laughs> we're not just talking about the existence of life. We're talking about time. Time is the most valuable resource in the world. Not money. It's time. Everything is a function of time. Everything. That is why the first word in the 
in the Bible is reference to beginning. Because without beginning, we can't have anything. Everything is contained in that sack called time. So our lives are measured in time. Pockets of time. Minutes. Hours. Weeks. Days. Right? Years. And then at the end of those times, we say his lifetime. Because your life cannot be essentially separated from your time. So your management of your time is the management of your life. If you have not learned to manage, imagine the kind of regimen in the house of Abraham every day. Before Lot was captured. Have you read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? If you have not, go read it. If you have not, go and read it. Because Nigerians are used to emergencies. Until the submission date is Friday 10 a.m. We will not enter our libraries and begin to work out that assignment. We will start doing that assignment 2 a.m. on Friday morning. We are used to it. We are not strategic. It's not a compliment. Praise God. It's not. Lead your time. Lead your life. Lead your life. And how you lead your life is with discipline. You see what Paul said there? He says, I put my body under. I put my body under. If my fists and my blows will make impact on the sound of time, I've got, to be, I've got to be someone who is temperate, who is disciplined in all things. If people who want to win Olympics get to discipline their bodies so well, how much more me that I want to have an impact in eternity. I want to be usable by God to win souls for him. How much more? Me. So you lead your life. Look at the kind of ways these guys let... Do you, have, do you know about the CV of David? What was it? Every single day he had something developmental going on. He was not expecting the day to happen on him. He happened on his day. So let's see what the day holds for us. No, what I hold for the day. You convert time to anything you need it to be. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So between you and surgery, or between you and becoming uh, a, a surgeon, right? It's seven years. That's, that's, that's what stands between you and... Well, maybe not seven years, because you just become a medical practitioner after seven years. Maybe you now need to do another level of uh, extensive consultancy and learning before you become a surgeon but you see the difference between you and anything is time it's time and so really what you need to learn and master is this time and it's not time you really need to master you need to master yourself in time you can't manage time you manage yourself within the framework of time it is inelastic you can't have 26 hours when others are having 24 it's the same 24 everybody has you are the one that needs to manage yourself it's self-management within the framework of time not time management you need to learn to manage abraham had other guys that were living as contemporaries why didn't god visit with them how was it abraham how was it abraham he was such a student of times and seasons he knew how to position himself in the future, waiting for the harvest, waiting for an opportunity. He knew how to align. And how you align is by disciplining yourself today. Because there is a demand coming in the next five years. God is expecting that the person that he will use in the next five years is already doing something today. I, I, I told the lady, <laughs> I told the lady, you know, goals for the year, fantastic. 
you know, and she had put timelines because we typically do that. We put timelines, okay, by March, I want to have done this. By August, I want to have done this. By the end of the year, I want to have done this. And I asked her, I said, what is the NPV of those goals? She said, well, by then I would have done it. And I went through with her and I said, listen, if there is no version 1.0, you would arrive at that point. You won't have achieved it. This is why regrets happen every year. Things people want to do, they don't factor into it the daily version of that yearly goal. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There is no daily version of that yearly goal. So the year just comes because they just see it as a bucket of a year. No, it's a bucket of several minutes, of several hours, of several weeks that must have impact on your progression within that timeline. So that by the time you arrive at the end of the year, you would have achieved those things. Praise God. Planning is one of the most prophetic things you can do with your life. Prophetic. Because what, what you do when you plan is that you go to the end. You see how it will end. You backtrack into the present. You break down everything you see at the end into bits and details that is achievable within a framework of time that is in small chunks, that is smart, that we call it, right? And then you commit to that particular regimen that is progressive. Listen, if you commit to that regimen having planned, you don't need to keep thinking about the end. If you will commit to those days, you would eventually arrive at that destination. So I gave her a good example. I said, my daughter is, she was five months yesterday. Praise God. So she's, she's, she was five months yesterday. She won't just be one year by October 13. It has to be five months, one day by today. Then five months, two days by tomorrow. The one year we are celebrating by October 13 this year is a function of every day she has lived. She just needs to keep waking up every day and live one more day and live one more day. At the end of the year, she will become one year. And so if there is no one day version of your one year goal, there is no one year goal. Because a baby will not be one year if she does not keep living every day. So if your vision does not have a daily version, if your goal for the year does not have a daily version, you are just living a dream. It won't come to pass. It won't. God can't even help you. But discipline and hard work and, and diligence, it's, you can't negotiate it with God. God has no use for a lazy person. No use whatsoever. No use. He would rather use a hardworking unbeliever than a lazy believer. I tell you the truth. No use for a lazy Christian. No use. Because anything you live with him stays the same. No improvement. Nothing. No leadership. So listen, this is why believers who take Christianity seriously are one of the best out of whom we can work with anywhere. Because they understand the value of time. So things like early coming, accountability, management of relationships, leading visions. These are the things we all did. Where did I learn leadership from? Fellowship in school. That's where we learned it from. At the feet of Jesus. Doing his work. That's where we learned it from. Nobody taught us who will teach us leadership in any university. If you don't learn it by yourself in the context of scriptural wisdom, you won't learn it anywhere. So by the beginning of the, of, of the term, we'll map out what we're going to achieve by that year. And then we'll, we'll now factor in other things that we may not be able to control. And then we'll now put it into strategic goals 
per, you know, per month and we'll draw series that are supposed to achieve those goals. And it's amazing how every of those seasons we achieved our goals. Amen. And so listen, guys, these things are not esoteric. It's amazing how the secular world borrow from these insights from Scripture and they maximize it even better than we, the very owners of these thoughts. The very owners of these thoughts. Praise God. So God wanted to create the heavens and the earth. He had a seven-day plan, isn't it? So if he stopped at any of the days, could he have finished the project? So his plan had a daily version. So whatever you have as a goal, listen, that goal will not happen if you don't have something you're doing about that goal today, tomorrow, next tomorrow, and the day after. I don't know if I've shared it with you one day, I mean, um, before, how I went to preach somewhere and then someone came to me after service and was so blown away and was like, wow, I've never heard anyone teach like this. This is so powerful. How are you able to quote that many scriptures? Wow, I'm so blessed. Thank you so much. But how do you, how do, you do this? And I was so tempted to say, ah, it's God's grace, it's grace, it's grace. And the Holy Spirit told me, no, don't do that. Don't deceive him. Because that's what a lot of people tell him. Don't add, don't add to the list of those that would deceive him and say it's grace. It is grace, no doubt. But Pastor Peter just said, he said, wow, you will do some work. Paul said, I've been engraced. But guess what? I was not more engraced than Peter. But I labored more. I appropriated that grace. Appropriated that grace. There were some instructions God gave me entering to Ife. Part one, before I did anything, God told me, He said, Number one, break that relationship. Break it. So I broke it. Well, let me not go into all the details. <laughs> Amen. But He had to tell me, He said, There is something I have in mind for you in this campus. It was clear. He said, You can't afford to be yoked and entangled. Entanglement. But when you're entangled, neither of you can go in the direction you really want to go. One person is forcing the other person to go in the place because it's entangled. Not anchored. Because when you're anchored, you're anchored to Christ. But this one is entanglement. Amen. And the Lord told me to disentangle. And he told me some things I must begin to do every day. There were some things you will never catch me without in my bag. These were things I was doing every day. I was not yet a pastor. I was nothing. I was just minding my business, loving God. By the time it was time, listen, I didn't have to go and look for how to look for two years of capacity building. It was behind me already. I was the product of two years of capacity building. This is what Abraham became in the scheme of things. He became a father of many nations before he actually became it. He had a track record of disciplined following the plan of God for his life on a daily basis. And so don't just wake up every day and wait and say, God, what do you have for me to do? Have a plan. Have a plan and stick with it. Of course, give allowance to the invasion of the Holy Spirit in terms of things that are unpredictable and all of that, but have a plan. How we know whether you have a plan or not is by how... <laughs> I have to be careful how I structure this so you don't think I'm saying you should be flexible. But how usable by other men are you? So every day, somebody says, I need you to do, you are available for that. Because you yourself, you don't have a plan. You are always available for everybody's side project, side hustle. That's strong words, amen. I'm not saying you shouldn't be benevolent and have a caring attitude and be willing to help, but have something. One of my colleagues at work, he will tell me, he says he doesn't do social media. He says, what, what do people do on social media? They watch other people's lives. 
and they fail to build their own lives. Ah, that thing stuck with me. They fail to build their own lives and they are watching everybody's life. Three hours. <laughs> this girl is so funny. <laughs> and they stay there five hours. Their lives left unbuilt. Nobody will watch you. Hi. But you are comfortable watching every other person. Nobody's telling people this. Nobody's telling you that. Well, you've got to think about it at some point. Okay, okay, when are, when are they going to look at me as a thought leader in this space? When? Praise the name of the Lord. So lead your what? Lead your life. And how you lead your life is by leading your time. Determine what you will put in the buckets of time that you have. How many hours do we have in a, in a week? 24 by 7. Something about 168, right? 168 hours every single week. Where does it go? Imagine there were buckets of time. Buckets of time. 168 buckets. How do you use them? How? Are you investing in them? How are you putting value into time? Are you converting time to value? That's the challenge with the Nigerian economy. We are not converting anything, so we keep buying. We keep buying. We're not producing. We are always consuming. That's what happens when you don't put anything into your time, when you don't convert things, when you don't have anything valuable that people will bring foreign exchange for. Because you're always looking and looking and converting. There is, you don't pay attention to what you have and how you can improve it and become better. Amen and amen. There is so much in you. Pay attention to it. You know, I, I wrote an article some time ago. And that article had a, a young lady who had a field. A father gave her a field after... You know, he's passing and all of that. But the field was very, you know, unkept and very funny. It wasn't nice. So there was a particular field around the area. She would go there because it was so lush, green, flowers everywhere. It was on the hillside. It was just beautiful. So she would go there, spend time, enjoy the greenery and have fun. So one of those days she went there. She was about to pluck one flower. And one man said, ah, what are you doing there? For the first time, she saw a man guarding that place. And the man said, what are you doing there? And the lady said, no, I just wanted to have this little flower so that I can... Because every time she leaves that field, she keeps thinking about the field all throughout the day because she just cannot wait to get back to that field. And then the old man said, yes, you can have it. But it means you have to come back tomorrow and next every single time you need this field or rather this, this flower. And then he told her a story. He painted a picture with words of how that field looked like several years ago. How that field was even worse in state and condition than the field that she is currently despising. But how he determined in his heart to make that field one of the best fields in the world. And how every day he will tend it, he will guard it, he will tender it to it and all of that. And then he will plant the kinds of flowers he wants to see and he will go and research about how best to take care of this kind of specific flowers because the higher the quality of flower you want, the more care you need in guarding that flower and tending to it. And he told her that story, and boy, she was really inspired. And it was as though the hospital was not talking to her. And he said, that field that you've been ignoring, go and pay attention to it. Go and pay attention to it. And you will not have to be traveling all the way to pick one flower every day, one flower every week. You will have a bouquet of flowers. You can't even exhaust them. And then people will come to you to buy some of those flowers. Wow. Life changed. So the way she looked at the land was different. The same land, nothing had changed. Our perspective about the land changed. So she went back to her land and began to pay attention to it. That this land, you can be far better than that land I have admired for so long. That's what happens every time we go on social media. We see people who are 
taken the pain to build their lands. We admire it so much. We look for, oh, this, this neck piece that they are wearing. I, I would like to have the same. So they, they, we pluck flowers here and there. But it can't make you that land. Because the man put time in that land and then produced that version of land that became such an inspiration. He put time into it. One of the best drummers I've ever seen in my life was privileged to be in our fellowship back on campus. The guy was so good. The guy was so good. He was using two legs. We thought he had four. The guy would be drumming. There was a day an invited guest minister came around and this guy was drumming and after he finished drumming and all of that, the man came up to him and said, how many hands do you have? <laughs> the guy was drumming like he was crazy. Like, the guy was so good. And he had a fantastic character to go along with it. Such a great guy. So one of those days, I was curious and I asked him, how did you become this good? He said, for a long time, he didn't have admission. For two, three years, no admission after secondary school. So what did he do? He would go to his church. He would practice drums for seven hours every day. Every day, practicing drums. How could he not be good? He entered campus from part one. He didn't do foundation Bible school. He became the drummer of the church. He carried, nobody here can drum. This guy is around. The guy was so good. But guess what? He didn't arrive at that level of mastery overnight. Seven hours every day for two years. You can literally drum anything. If you do that. He was so good. He could roll the bass with his legs. What people are struggling with in their hands, he will do it with his legs. He was that good. But it was not, it's not magic. He puts effort inside the time. And then he produced that mastery at the end of the day. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So this is why you see a lot of people, they will keep looking on to some people say, ah, this person is my, is my father in the Lord. You have the same potential. If you will pay attention to your own Bible, you will. He has put time. In, he has put effort into time. He said, this guy, if I don't see him, I can't be healed. You, ah, come on now. Jesus didn't come to replicate guinea pigs and pawns who we keep looking on to him forever. He came to replicate himself. Greater works than this shall you do. And he gave us the template to doing it. Do the works. Do the word. Do the things that I tell you to do. Follow the scripture. Follow the framework of scripture. And you become everything you admire everywhere else. Amen. So the role of a leader is to make himself increasingly unnecessary. That's what Jesus did. He made himself so unnecessary at the end of his journey that he had 12 other guys that could replicate the exact same effect that he had while he was on earth. And those guys replicated themselves in 8,000 in two weeks and bam, 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 bam. About 3 billion now. How? One man was willing to become unnecessary. Praise God. The next thing is that you must lead your experiences with perspective. Nigeria, unfortunately, is full of people who blame everything on everyone else apart from themselves. They don't lead their experiences. They are victims everywhere, every time. The salary is low because where you live, because you're a Nigerian, because 
everything is because of somebody. You blame everybody for your own predicaments. You don't lead your experiences. You're a victim of them. You lead, you ought to lead your experiences with perspective that is pristine, that is, that is royal. Abraham. Uh, let, let, let's quickly go there because some of these things we'll see in all of these guys. We will not be able to exhaust all that I have in my notes for today, but I'm sure you'll be able to take a few things away. Amen? Genesis chapter... Are we getting blessed this morning? Strong words. So guess what? You don't have to come early to church. Don't come. (laughs) Someone says, you're about to say, well, I'll bow you. Listen, if you make something part of you, it's for your benefit. Alright? So, being time conscious. So, in Swiss, they are, they are one of the best in making wristwatches. So, they, they have very awkward appointment times. So, you can say the appointment for today's meeting is 4.13pm. Because they are so time conscious. So, they make awkward appointments. Because everybody will be there by 4.12. So, it's not 4 o'clock. If I, yeah, we give it a very serious time. And the people now have a version of that time that is African. <laughs> so you say it's 4 o'clock, but the African version of that 4 is 5.30. It's not even 5, it's 5.30. So by 5.30, I'm talking about debate. So I'll be coming around 5.29. At least I came early. Ah! One and a half hours late. You say at least. And by the time it's 6.30, you say, nothing quite will be by. Ah! You're only here for ah! ah. A barrel long. But in Switzerland, guys, they, they, 401. That's the, and if you come later, you can't be part of that meeting. Imagine we do that in this church. Where two or three are gathered. That's what we'll be doing most of this. That's not a compliment. <laughs> Anyways. In Germany, if you tell a mechanic that what you just did for me is not German, he will return your money, refix it. You don't understand. Because Germans are so known globally for efficiency, for strength and durability, that if you tell a, an artisan that what you did is not German enough, he will return your money just to preserve that reputation. I won't give any version. <laughs> what you did now is not, is not good enough. I say, ah, sorry, oh, sorry. Things are now cost. Things are expensive now. Foil has increased. In fact, you need to give me more money to go back home now because I spent all the money you gave me to do the horrible job I did for you. So, oh dear. Oh dear. And you know, I was speaking with a friend how that we have trained people so much how to cut corners in this country. It's not good. We invest too much money on Big Brother Africa, Nigeria, and the guy that is slaving to ensure that he creates a product that will limit our dependence on oil, maybe an electronic car or something. He's writing proposals to Asorok every single year. He's being denied. But some boy on the internet says Momik be coming down. The governor is looking for him. We reward the wrong things consistently. Therefore, people are looking for how to be more proficient in things that are not valuable. So how can I be promiscuous enough to enter Big, 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 big Brother? That is the inspiration. Because once I finish from Big Brother, I have a fan base. And I have what professors don't have in 10 years of hard work. I will have it in one year. Land deals of unreasonable weight and measures. 
And we now blame that education is not thriving. Education is not emphasized and rewarded. It can't be emphasized. It can't grow. It's what you reward that you will reinforce. What you reward, you reinforce. So we teach people how to consistently go there. A friend of mine who is well-traveled told me, he said, he had done a project for the nation. And it was going to cost him 50 million. And he had done it. And they had agreed, DG had agreed and all of that. And so by the time he was going to write his invoice, they said one more thing. So what, what you do is that you write one B in your invoice. Yeah, in your invoice. Because we're going to account for it next week and all of that. And then by the time you're done, you know, of course we'll send the money to your account, but you know, bullion stuff will come and pick the rest. He said, no, no, I can't do that. And guess what? He was blacklisted for it. That they can't do business with that kind of person. You now know how much we have to pump into the system. Men of integrity and honor and value and virtue. To change the narrative. Imagine, you will charge something that is only 5% of what you eventually put in your invoice. The remaining is going to line pockets. Pockets. And guess what? If, if EFCC show up, you are the only one that will be responsible. No names. No names, dear. It's only your name that will show. And all, the, all, all you got for it was just 50M. 5%. Not even enough for tight. So, so, so guys, see, we need, to, we, need to, we need to really see these things. Can you be like Abraham? They came with goodies. Collect. It's not even wrong, actually. It was not a bribe. But he wanted to maintain a level of integrity that was unquestionable. So one day I was very broke. And I just feel I should share some of these things. Is that all right? I was very broke. So one of the members of this church buzzed me and said, so pastor, I have a seed. I was already excited. Glory to God. She's got a seed for the man of God. So I was already typing my account. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyways, you know, I was just following the conversation. And she was like, yeah, she has a seed and that she just feels in her heart she should give it to me. I'm like, are you sure? Because she didn't seem so sure. I was like, are you sure? And she says, yeah, that's God told her to give the church or me. She now clarified. I said, go and be sure. So she went to pray. I said, go and pray and ask God for who you should give, myself or the church. It was a good amount that would sort me out for the next at least three weeks thereabouts. And she went to pray. By the next morning, the result came out. If I, how I got the result was by getting the alert into the church account. <laughs> So after she said, so God, I know already, I know it's okay. But the truth is, the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart, he says, you have done well. I, I mean, it would have just been, oh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't put the instruction in her heart. She buzzed me. She first told me that it was me she was supposed to give. I could have just called up the thing. Say, bang, bang, before the Holy Spirit will say something else now. Give me, give me, give me the thing. Give me the thing. Let me just collect it now. But you see, those are the tests the Lord will take you through in leadership. You don't take advantage. You will, have, you will be in charge of all the resources, but one cup, you will not put it into your account. That's, that's leadership. Stewardship. 
Hi. Can we get there as a people? In this country, you see people who embezzle and will give testimony inside the church. And they will use the money to sponsor projects in church. Just to placate their conscience that it's not that bad. At least we'll sponsor, we'll sponsor church projects. I sent some missionaries' children to school. At least I did something. Amen. So we, we refixed this stuff. That's why it's swirling around, but we should fix it better by next week. Apologies for all of that distraction. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you blessed? Where were we? Genesis 11. Right? So Genesis 11, I said leading your experiences. Yeah. You've got to learn to lead your experiences. Verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abraham. Nahor and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father, Terah, in the land of his nativity, in her of the Chaldees. And Abraham and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishka. But Sarai was barren, and she had no child. And Terah took Abraham and his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees, to the land of Canaan, and they came to Iran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. This is not an exciting story. Abraham was not the first person that God was going to tell to go to the land of Canaan. God had told Terah to go to Canaan. So Terah carried all his children, but before he started journeying, Haran, his son, died. And it really had a very strong emotional impact on Terah. So on his way to Canaan, he found a place named after his dead son. So he stayed there and died there. He never got to Canaan. So Abraham was not the first guy that God was going to call to go to Canaan. But Terah was limited. He couldn't lead his experiences. He couldn't be bigger than his experiences. He couldn't put his experiences in perspective. He became a victim of what had happened to him in the past. Can you lead your experiences? Can you stop giving up excuses why we should all attend to your victimized identity? If I share my opinion about the Black Lives Matter, you probably will think I'm, I'm not. But the truth is, you're not a victim. Stop thinking like one. You're not a victim, guys. Oh, the nation, oh, the people. Be stronger than the system of victimization. Be stronger than it. David was a son of a mother that had no name. His mother was not in his father's house. Historians have it that she was a harlot. Imagine you are son to a Jesse who had seven solid sons. And you are the last of those guys. And your mother is not even there to protect your own interests in the house. She's not mentioned. She was probably cast out somewhere. And you're having to live with the sons of other women that you share the same dad. And every single day you go and tend to a sheep or to a bunch of sheep that had no value to your father. Because he had seven sons in the army, he really didn't have financial needs. But he told you to keep tending to sheep that wasn't really giving him any economic benefits. And he knew that right inside that wilderness there were wolves and bears and lions. And every day you come back to that same father and tell him, sir, I... I, I if, if a lion wanted to touch one of the sheep and I caught it by the beard, 
and tomorrow he will send you back to that same wilderness. Tomorrow he will, and then you will see a beer tomorrow, and you will come back with the same story, and he will send you back. Is your life not worth much more than one kid? That was the life of David every day. Nobody to speak with. That was why he loved that ship or that bunch of ship so much. They were his friends and his brothers. He had no relationship. He showed up at the valley of Ella. They were rebuking him for bringing food for them. He came to bring victuals. They were still rebuking him. That who did you leave? Go and die in the wilderness with them. That's the back end of that. Who did you leave? Because it's these lions and the bears that are with them. So join them and become prey. David kept the system of violence against the pack at bay by his presence. Lions and bears could not touch David's sheepfold. He, he never became a victim of his experiences. He didn't wear the badge of his, of his unfortunate situations and all the things he has had to go through all his life as a badge of honor. You know, my father never married my mother. You know, you know my, I, I, I'm a child of wedlock. You know, they had me before. Can you stop rehearsing the realities of your experiences and become bigger than those things? It may be tough, but that's the only way to lead. If you don't stand head and shoulders above the experiences, you will become a, a, a miserable repeater of those same experiences. This is what happens when people who grow in families where their fathers beat their mothers, they will, they will, they will swear that they will never become that. But they will never really grow in capacity to be bigger than that experience. But because that's all that has been stored up in their hard drives, that's the only thing they can produce when their wife looks at them in a funny way. They will beat her. Because that's all they've learned. They've never really outgrown their experiences. You can't lead that way. Can't lead that way. David had to be, big, he had to be bigger than his experiences. Abraham had to be bigger than his experiences. Lot almost cost him the blessing. Guess who the father of Lot was? Haran. You have to be bigger. You have to let go of some of these experiences that you keep rehearsing and making it look like, ah, that's why I'm like this. You will remain like that for a long time. You know we are like this in our family. You know this is how we do things. Such narratives will keep a generation bound forever. You don't grow beyond your experience and become a leader. You can't become an inspirational leader. Let people learn about your back-end stories and be shocked that you came out of such dysfunction. And we can't even smell dysfunction on you. Can't smell it. But you came out of such dysfunction. How can you, this guy, come out of such dysfunction and we can't even notice it? You don't look like your experiences. You don't look like what you have been through. That's because you're a leader with perspective. You lead your experiences with perspective. What happened to you doesn't have to become you. You are not what happened to you. The first thing Jesus told that woman with the issue of blood is guy or babe, you are not the woman with the issue of blood. You are daughter. Everybody keeps calling her the woman with the issue of blood. She has a name for God's sake. God changed that perspective for her. You're not the woman with the issue of blood. So what happens after you have been healed? You become the woman with the issue of blood that has now been healed. Come on. Before her, however, she had a name. Jesus looked at her and said, your daughter, that's your identity. Start rehearsing who you are. 
know what happened to you. Know what happened to you. The Samaritan looked at Jesus and couldn't face up with Jesus because she was so full of her experiences. So full of it. But the moment God revealed her real identity to her, the Bible says she ran with energy into Samaria. Energized by that perspective. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm an evangelist. That's who I am. The madman of Gadara in literally days became an evangelist from becoming the biggest terrorist in town. God has a way of changing your perspective about your experiences. How can Paul come and say, Paul, come and say he has wronged no man? What's wrong with you, Paul? Do you, do you have dementia? Oh no, he doesn't have dementia. In Christ, the slate is clean. Your experiences don't have to project into your future. But if you not deal with your past, it will affect your future and it will affect your present and rob you of your future. You've got to deal with it. Don't become a victim of what has happened to you. If Abraham allowed it, he would never have gotten the blessing. If David had allowed it, he would never have become the king, of, king David that we all see and celebrate today. Do you know the kind of stigma that followed Jesus around? We don't even know his father. We don't even know his father, really. Because we don't have any record where Joseph outrightly claimed him. We don't even really know his father. He claims to be the son of God. Dysfunction at the highest level. People just hush about it. But he, he grew through that kind of people talking when he's walking around. People say, that guy, say that guy. I don't even know. That kind of dysfunction. But right in the middle of all of that, becoming the savior of the world. How do you become that? Don't let your experiences rob you of the future God has in store for you. Don't always rehearse things that have happened to you in the past. There are two kinds of experiences you need to deal with. Experiences of what life did to you. And experiences of what you did to life. There are times that it is life that deals with you those cards. You're born into an unfortunate situation. Your name is Jabez. You didn't plan to come out like that. So situations that were beyond your control. Like David, like Jesus, like Abraham. You couldn't really control all those factors. But guess what? Everybody has a version of that reality. No matter how rich they show up. Everybody has some dysfunction in their history. Every single one of us. Stop measuring which one was more or stronger. Forget about it. Dysfunction is dysfunction. We all have a, 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 a slice of, of dysfunction. So how, how long do you want to keep rehearsing it? You want to make that the excuse for not showing up at the stage of leadership? When leaders are being called out, you can't show up. You, you know I cannot. You know I am not. Do you want to keep rehearsing that? And keep singing the swat song of victimization all your life. No. Grow beyond the experiences of what life did to you. Also grow beyond the experience of what you did to life. Oh yes, you messed up when you were a little girl. Oh yes, you aborted that baby. Oh yes. You did all those terrible things. And you think your flaws are such a big factor to God. You think you can educate God about your mistakes. You can enlighten him about the things you've done wrong in the past. So God does not know before he called you that you have done all those things before. Outgrow them. David slept with Bathsheba. Yes. The, the son was about to die. David was crying and lamenting and oh, wailing. The moment the child died, he rejoiced. He ate. He married. He, he, just, he, just, he, just, he just took it in his stride. And out of that attitude, listen, it was that attitude that produced Solomon. 
you don't outgrow those experiences, you can't get the best out of them. Listen, the things you don't outgrow, God can use them again. Once you outgrow them and you look on them with the perspective of redemption, God now sees those things in the light of redemption and he can restore anything through the lens of redemption. He can. Anything he sees through the lens of redemption, he can restore it. But it's dependent on how you are using and seeing that experience. So whatever life has done to you, whatever you have done to life, receive perspective today. Through the lens of redemption, look on those experiences and outgrow them. This is what Nigeria needs to do. This is what Africa needs to do. This is what you need to do. Stop rehearsing. Experiences of old that have kept your back to the ground and you keep seeing it as a reason why you cannot be lifted. No, be stronger than those things. Be bigger than those things. Be bigger. They can't go beyond this because time is up. But I want you to understand that those that will lead their generations are those that must learn to lead their lives through diligence, discipline, focus, resilience, and hard work. Those that will lead their experiences through the perspective of redemption. Those that will lead their attitudes with foresight. Those that will lead their destinies with power. Uh, we can't go through attitude and destiny today. So that's lead, right? Lead your life. You lead your experiences. You lead your attitude. You lead your destiny. So the title of my teaching today is I Lead. I Lead. Let's rest our feet this morning as we worship God and use redemption. Because I really believe that people need to cast down their experiences and stop wearing them like bangles and chains. Like remove it, remove it. You don't have to be associated with what you did or what life did to you. You don't have to be associated with it. You can become completely different. Transportation is different from translation. Transportation is Dami left Lagos for Ibadan. It's still the same Dami that arrived Ibadan because he was transported. Translation is Dami left Lagos as Dami. He entered Ibadan as another man. That's translation. So when you look for Dami in Ibadan, you can't find him there again. He's been translated. That's what happened to you when you received Christ. You were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So you keep looking for the right experiences in the wrong location. They really happened. I'm not jettisoning or denying the fact that those things didn't happen. They really happened. But they are not relevant to this location. Stop looking for those experiences in the wrong location. They belong to where you were coming from. Not where you are right now. So can we worship God this morning and just cast our experiences before him? And say, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. And I will not make my experience a limitation. I will not make my experience a reason why I would not be able to achieve what you have asked me to achieve. I will lead. I will lead. I will lead. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. For in Jesus' name we pray. I'd encourage you to listen to this teaching again. The reason why we celebrate Mandela for such heroics was because he led his experience. He didn't become a victim of it. 27 years. 27 years. Locked behind bars for something he never did. Just because they didn't like his face or what he represented. And the first thing he does after he leaves the prison is to come and reconcile with them. Not for him. He, had he never took offense. So that they know that he didn't take offense. He just comes to let them know that I never actually took offense 
such a hero, national hero. Listen, these things are trans transcendent. That's the word. If you, if you demonstrate these kinds of leadership, you will be relevant across generations, across dispensations, across nations. Till tomorrow, his interview with Oprah is still one of the most viewed and the most powerful interview on Oprah Winfrey's show. Anyone that mattered looked for Mandela to just matter a little bit more. So that they can matter a little bit more. He was the definition of the highest idea of humanhood. As far as his lifetime was concerned. I'm not celebrating him because he was a Christian in that sense. But the kind of leadership we need in this nation is one that has these ideals wrapped into it. And it's Christ that actually produces these ideals. These ideals come from Christ. But we see people who don't even know this Christ representing those ideals. And then we here, we're just looking for gimme, gimme stuff. Can you become something that leaders will look up to? Leaders. You become president of the United States, you want to come and see Mandela. I thought being the president of the United States was the highest achievement. But you just need a picture with him just so that you can up your game a little. Because he led, really. And all credit goes to him in that sense. So guys, your, your, your perspective about your experiences, the people around you, will change. You can't afford to keep rehearsing. You go to places where, you know, newspapers are sold, and everybody's cursing. Everybody's cursing. Everybody's literally cursing. This person, this person, this person, this person did this, this person did that. That's not the... If you enter an arena where change will happen, you don't see those kind of conversations. They are thinking, what do we have on ground? What must be done? Who are the resources we have to deploy? They're not talking about all the things that they are victims of. Because they are the change. They are the change. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, Father, because we know that these words will not just be information to the ears, but illumination in our hearts and empowerment to our hands in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for answered prayers. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's have our seats in God's prayer. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.